You hear that? Your dog knows spring is coming sooner than you think. Dog walks, dog parks, playing fetch, all the stuff your dog loves to do with you. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas and ticks are in the grass, in the woods, and even on their dog friends. Fleas are an itchy nuisance, can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot, but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMeds has your furry friend protected with the best products to prevent flea and ticks all year long. PetMeds pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. And PetMeds AutoShip helps you save even more with additional discounts on regular shipments of PetMeds, dog food, and other high-quality supplies. So get ready for all the spring fun now. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com and promo code PODCAST. He says, we're part of a symbiotic relationship with something which disguises itself as an extraterrestrial invasion so as to not frighten us. But the UFOs, as, as most of you know who read my books, I don't think they're extraterrestrial at all. I think they're definitely tied to the human race. I think it's um, at least advisable to keep the options open that the ultimate answers to this might be unpleasant. Sean Kirkpatrick, head of Arrow, has said, I have access to everything. Grush has given very specific information about where some of this stuff is stored, stashed, hidden. Um, has Sean Kirkpatrick gone after it? Burchett, Tim Burchett, our friend uh, in Congress who wanted to have additional hearings, has been shut down. So what we can do is, is call Congress, call Senate, call your representatives in your state and say, I care about this. You're about to debate it and it's gonna go into the National Defense Authorization Act. If every single person reached out to their local representatives, holy shit, we would get answers. Secrets, cover-ups, and strange phenomena. UFOs and ideas that challenge reality itself. All these mysteries, all this time. Are we ever gonna get to the bottom of these? My name is George Knapp. I dig into news stories that others can't or won't. I'm Jeremy Corbell, and for some reason, people tell me things they probably shouldn't. And this is Weaponized. Weaponized. This is Weaponized. Welcome back, everyone. Jeremy, what's been going on? Not much, huh? Yeah, yeah, not much in our lives, man. Um, as you can see, I am wearing a shirt from Austin, Texas. Uh, I love you so much. And, I, you know, man, I love Joe Rogan. He throws down for this UFO topic. And I think that kind of goes un kind of spoken sometimes. Um, but he's really put himself out there. He just had us on as guests again. Man, it's good to see our friend, and it's good to talk about UFOs. You know, Joe has a pretty good life, um, but I, every time I see him and what his life is like, I think, uh, you know, I'm not sure I would want to be Joe Rogan. People form these impressions about him based on his podcast and outrageous things that he says, and they figure they know who he is, and they don't. Uh, you know, seeing him behind the scenes, what his life is like. What he says off the, off the podcast, what he says in his comedy club at dinner, he's a much different guy than, than people know and much more nuanced. And, um, you know, I, I think that his public, even his, the people who listen to his podcast all the time, I think probably don't have a real firm grasp of who Joe Rogan is. Yeah, man. Maybe he likes his privacy. You know, uh, it's funny when people are so public and they're they're so powerful, like the the powerful Joe Rogan. Um, you know, I think that there's a real desire to keep personal stuff personal, and I, I understand that. But I think what you're touching upon is, you know, a, a show like his is kind of like a mirror. We all kind of see what we what we are when we look at that. We have these reactions to it. So if he's talking about. UFOs, or if he's talking about uh, viruses or whatever he talks about, you know, everybody gets kind of pumped up in their own way about it. Now, I get pumped up about UFOs. I'm an absolute addict to UFOs. I'm a fanatic. I love it. I love talking about it. I never get tired of it. But just to clarify for everybody, so maybe people have seen it, but we have now, uh, you know, had another run on the Joe Rogan podcast. 
And it was just so cool. We were actually going there anyway for a kind of special thing that I think we're going to be able to show people later. But we can't do that now. But don't worry, it's really cool. And we're going to be able to put it out at some point. But we were going to Austin anyway. And then, you know, the time that the call came, like, it's time to talk about this. So uh, you and me being there already and then being like, let's do this. It was kind of fortuitous, if that's the word. So we're we're friends with Joe. Uh, to a degree, you know, we stay in touch with him. He likes to check in with us and uh, see what's going on in UFO world and in the subjects that we cover now and then. He has an ongoing interest. I know that what we've been hearing for a while from some people who listen to his podcast, I think Joe's turning negative about it. I think he's decided it's all bullshit and he's he's about to uh, drop a dime on the whole thing. And of course, that is not exactly the case. No, it wasn't the case, you know, and, and I'm I'm glad to see like because I go through a, a range of emotions about UFOs like the other week I was driving home from the Oppenheimer movie and I kind of I felt like George Knapp. I felt like doom and gloom. We're never going to get anywhere. And if we do, do I want to be a part of that? Do I want to be a part of opening that Pandora's box, whatever this UFO thing was? It was really a brief moment. It, it didn't last, but it, but it was very powerful on that drive home like. You know, maybe there is good reason this stuff's been covered up. You said that to me. Lazar said that to me. He even said some people, Jeremy, they might be way smarter than you. <laughs> and that's why they kept it secret. I'm like, Kettle, call him the pot, black whistleblower pants. What the heck, man? But I, but I do respect that uh, unknown unknowns, just things that you're not even aware of that you don't know. So I was alerted number a number of times that, you know, Joe's opinion on the UFO thing that maybe he thought it was all uh, military stuff. And I was like, oh, man, I got like five or six things I want to go through with him, man, because, you know, there's some things to look at which show you that, of course, there are military aspects to it. But this has been around for so long. And I was like, prepped. I'm like, oh, dude, let's talk about that. And then before I could, he brought it up that it, that it couldn't be just military, if I recall correctly. And I was like, right on, brother, you know, because he, he must have dove in and really thought it through. So I always learn a lot when, when we're in that setting. I learn a lot from hearing you and Joe talk because you guys go into places that I, my mind doesn't go into. And you said something on the podcast that a lot of people really kind of, it ignited them. You were talking about the potential that this is something weird, like dark, like maybe not good. Maybe expand upon that so people can hear what you think. Let me say, first of all, about what it's like to be invited to be on that podcast. It is the number one podcast in the world. And Joe, uh, you know, we know the general subject. He said, yeah, it's time. Come on. We'll do the yeah. show. He does not lay out what the show is going to be about. Yeah. You're not there to talk about a book uh, or something to be promoted. And he doesn't give you really a whole lot of hints going into it. We're going to talk about this. We don't know what we're going to talk about going in there, which is... When you're in that firing line of Joe Rogan, you know, you know, it's it's a powerful platform. You're never quite sure where he's going to go. So you have to be prepared to roll with the punches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be on your toes, man. You know, he's hyper smart, hyper curious. You know, he keeps it real. Um, so I, I love that. It's like, you know, getting checked by someone that you care about. You know, it's like, you know, it's coming from a good place. So, you know, you might get checked. But it, it's really good because really, I think what our friend Joe has done is more than people know. And, and I think that's why we're talking about this right now. We just want to kind of give a little honor to that. Although Joe's like, you can't take a compliment, man. I'm trying to compliment you guys, you know, but it's just like he's done more to get the conversation going on the UFO topic than I think um, anybody has given credit for. And additionally, I think he's given permission to have the discussion. If we don't have this discussion, you know, and in a discussion, there's right, there's wrong, and there's in between. But if we don't have this discussion on a pop culture scale, then consensus reality is never going to forge its form on this topic because we haven't yet, because we know so little about UFOs, which is weird, right? Yes. But using pop culture to forge consensus reality by giving permission to have the conversation. That's something that I'm really grateful for, that, that, that Joe wants to have that conversation, that he wants others to have it. And then doing that with you, man, it, it, it's a blast. And you're right, you never know where it's gonna go, which is what makes it so damn exciting. 
Um, not to delve too far into Joe, the person, but uh, again, people don't know who the real guy is. And, you know, they, there's one guy who's the podcaster, says there's the other guy who's the stand-up comedian, and, uh, and then there's the, the real-life person, and they are often different. We got to hang at his comedy club, the Comedy Mothership, a couple of nights there in Austin. He was on stage with an all-star lineup of really great uh, talent. Uh, and we get to see him, you know, behind the scenes in the green room uh, in dinner leading up to it and get to have conversations. And his viewpoints on things as a person are much different than what he might express uh, online. I would I would uh, think that it would be pretty tough to be Joe Rogan. You know, we know the kind of crap that it gets dumped on our heads in this <laughs> tiny little microcosm compared to the platform that he has. I can't imagine. I mean, he, he could never go on Twitter. He could never go on Facebook and read the stuff that is uh, bandied about about him. Right. Yeah, I uh, I, I think uh, someone was, I was talking with a friend last night and they're like, how do you separate, you know, what you're trying to do with all the noise coming at you that you're doing it wrong? Or you're doing it not the way people want. And I was like, stop reading it. Like, that's just really just stop and uh, I, I think at some point you got to, you know, be open to criticism or whatnot, but it's so loud. You just got to stop. You got to stop. So with, with him, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, he, he doesn't seem like the, the kind of person that really, you know, gives a shit when the world gets all crazy on him. So that's good. He's, he's, he's either built that up or, or he's got the constitution of a warrior and a fighter already. So he doesn't seem influenced by that. So the, the multi things that we see, you know, in, in a friend and then how people see him on the outside, it, maybe it hurts friends more than it does the people, right? Like, I don't really care if somebody throws a punch at me, but other people might care about it. So look, the comedy mothership, it's a mecca. So for everybody listening, I know you've heard about it. If you haven't, you're welcome. It's the greatest comedy club ever. I mean, there's like a bunch of ninja assassin comedians who just walk you up to that cliff, hold your head, make you peer over the edge and say, look at that, bitch. I mean, it's amazing. Um, you know, they lock up your phones so people don't record and, and there can be real comedy, comedy that pushes the edge. We also saw our buddy Duncan Trussell, who's been on Weaponized. Um, he just he just had a kid and, you know, he's real busy. But man, he slayed it. He just slayed it. So to watch Joe and Duncan and, and, and Tony Hinchcliffe and um, all these guys just slay it, man. It was like a real a real pleasure. Did you like the comedy shows? Jordan? Yeah, it was terrific. Ron White uh, was there. I think he that's the only place he performs now. Comedy legend. He was hilarious. Uh, again, not to belabor it too much. Our buddy Joe. Uh, I don't think people realize how self-deprecating he is about his position in the world. You know, as you said, he will not take a compliment. We tried to say, hey, Joe, at the end of the, our podcast with him, hey, Joe, you, you changed the, the, the dynamic here. You know, this show has had a major influence on the UFO topic and how it's seen. He doesn't want any part of that. And then on stage, very much self-deprecating, referencing to COVID remarks and things like that, he'll say, Look, you should not be getting your health advice, your medical advice from a comedian, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but acknowledging he is aware of the power that he has and telling people, look, this is a, a show. Don't do it. Uh, I yeah. agree that part of him. I, I wish he would be able to take a compliment a little bit more than he than he is. But uh, the fact is that show has had a major influence and we're seeing it now, the reaction to our appearance there in just the last couple of days. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm just super grateful, you know, to, you know, be asked to talk about this so that we can open up that dialogue and discussion. And, and also, by the way, I mean, we just had a great time in Austin. Like I got my my first it's only a henna tattoo, but it's a UFO tattoo as some chick on the street did that, which was hilarious. Um, but I think we had a good time, man. You know, go out to dinner with friends. We got to um, see a good friend of yours, Ernest Klein, the guy that wrote Ready Player One and a bunch of other books. Uh, Spielberg made a movie about Ready Player One. What a fascinating guy. That guy's mind, the way he absorbs the UFO phenomenon, like the world of ufology, and then the way he regurgitates it back out. It was pretty epic, right, when we were there? Yeah, Ernie is a really smart guy, a great writer. Uh, we'll just say maybe we'll have more to come about Ernie Klein. I hope so in the near future. Back to the podcast and some of the things that we talked about. It's interesting to see what the public reacts to. 
uh, most uh, pointedly after you do a, a Rogan podcast, as you said, uh, our discussion of the dark side, uh, call it the, the dark edge. I mean, that's where my thinking has been for a long time, that it might not be as simple as friendly ETs here from other planets to uh, check us out occasionally um, mutilate a cow and take plant samples or whatever. Um, it seems to be more complicated than that. And and many of the people who I admire, who've been at this a lot longer than I have, who've really been at the upper echelons of, of thought on these topics, do have sort of a, a dark angle on the whole thing, is that the possibility that we are being manipulated on a global scale for an agenda that we have not been able to figure out what it might be or where it leads, uh, those are dark possibilities. The fact is, after 75 years of the modern UFO era, we have no answers to any of the big questions. Who are they? Where are they from? Why are they here? What's their interest in us? Uh, what is the timeline? Is there uh, a deadline? Is something coming up? We don't know any of that stuff. Drowning in status updates and lost in endless emails? Break free with ClickUp.com, the one app to replace them all. Imagine a world where your team collaborates effortlessly in one shared space. No more chaos, just ClickUp. Your projects, tasks, and communication unified at last. Transform how you work with customizable views, seamless integration, and real-time updates. ClickUp is your shortcut to more productive days and happier teams. Join the millions of productive teams already streamlining their workflow. Visit ClickUp.com to get started. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So you can understand why uh, there's some dark possibilities. There's a guy named Terrence McKenna, who's sort of the, the father of psychoactive plant research. The idea that we might be able to contact other intelligences in that way. I don't know if you saw this quote from him, uh, Jeremy. It's a pretty famous one. He says, we're part of a symbiotic relationship with something which disguises itself as an extraterrestrial invasion so as to not frighten us. That's pretty scary. It, it very much is consistent with John Keel, Jacques Vallée, people who start down the UFO road. They're looking for ETs, flying saucers, extra uh, interplanetary visitors, and it takes them somewhere else. Uh, and it's really not uh, light and rainbow. It's kind of a dark place. Look, the word on the wash or the gossip on the street is that George Knapp, you and I have been briefed by the government that UFOs are not what we think, and it's something else. Is that true? Because I've been seeing that around. We have not been briefed by the government, but we're available if they'd like to give us a briefing about it. Sure. Let's have the download. <laughs> man, that'd be too good. That'd be too good. But you can't talk about it, George. Um, man, that'd be too good. But, you know, usually it's the other way around, man. People are seeking information from us, which, which I swear to God, it frightens me, George. Like, I know we know a lot, but like, come on. Like, it frightens me that that information exchange is trying to be the other way a lot of times, like looking for information. I don't know who has a full grasp on this thing, but there are some key things that have recently happened that I think we should talk about. But before we leave this, I'm, I started reading a book again called uh, called uh, Operation Trojan Horse by John Keel. You're, I know, George, obviously familiar with this book. Did, did you ever meet John Keel, by the way? No. Man, he seemed, no. seemed like an interesting guy. Oh, very much so. He had a world traveler, a grand adventurer. He was boots on the ground. He went all over the world to try to get to the bottom of this mystery and others. He had a great overall sense of how different, seemingly disparate pieces of the mystery might fit together. And it, 
was not entirely rosy and cheerful about what the ultimate outcome might be. So I, I find this, I'm reading this book again, Operation Trojan Horse. Everybody should read it. It's fascinating. It, it's kind of like you know, with all information, you, you take some in, you absorb it, you reject other information. But man, this guy back um, you know, in the day, he would boots on the ground. He would interview witnesses. He had a bunch of his own experiences, just wild things. And I've actually never seen a photo or video of him. But then I saw online, a friend posted a little clip that he said was John Keel talking. So I hope it's John Keel, but we should play it for everybody because what he said was interesting. This may not seem very 14 to some of you, but everything is interrelated. And the more we study history and more the, the more we study current events, we see that all of these things are linked together in strange ways. That the UFOs, as, as most of you know who have read my books, I don't think they're extraterrestrial at all. I think they're definitely tied to the human race and that they react to things that are happening to the human race. I don't think they're vehicles. I think sometimes people see what appears to be vehicles, but they're really hallucinatory. And uh, no matter how reliable the witness is, what they see can be questioned. Uh, the same is true in many of our uh, Bigfoot cases and uh, strange monster cases, that the people see some image that's planted in their mind, and the creature itself probably doesn't exist at all, at least not as, as the creature that's seen. When I was in India, I was impressed at the number of people who were seeing the Indian gods, uh, multi-armed gods, gods and all. Whatever your belief is, your, your, these manifestations are going to uh, assume that form. So, so that's really interesting. So I believe that is John Keel, a, a fact check that, uh, it is. Okay, cool. And, and so, so basically he's saying that in like an operation Trojan horse, but he really seems dug in here. He's like, I really don't believe that these are vehicles. Well, we, we do have to check that for a second, which is, I get what he's saying, which is that people see things related to them when it comes to the UFO phenomena. He gave the example of India, but we now have completely different ways of seeing UFOs. So we have these sensor systems from thermal to radar to IR to whatever. So they're, they're, and we've got these exploitation programs allegedly. So there, there does seem to be a presentation of physical craft. So I would say that what he said back then, he didn't have everything that we have now. So I, I think that we have to refine that a little bit. You know, are these just craft of unknown origin or is this a display right is this some sort of display which which even did talk about back then is that how you see all that yeah i think that's where my thinking evolved when i started working on with the bigelow nids group and skinwalker ranch and see those phenomena it seems to be as mr bigelow put it a performance it is a display in fact the first book written about the Uinta Basin and UFOs was called the Utah UFO Display. And Frank Salisbury sort of came to the same conclusion that this is a performance to influence us, to lead us down a path. Uh, you know, John Keel reached that conclusion a long time ago. That's the same place Jacques Vallée ended up. It's the same place Dr. John Mack ended up. It's where Robert Bigelow, the person who has spent more money on UFO research than any other person in the history of the world, that's where he is now, that these mysteries are more related to consciousness than the simplicity of extraterrestrial visitors popping in and out of our planet once in a while. Jacques Vallée, the first interview I did with him back in 1990, he said, look, if the answer to the UFO mystery turns out to be ET visitors popping in from other planets, I'm gonna be really disappointed because the fact is, if they can manipulate space-time in the ways that we have seen them do and have documented, then they could be from anywhere. They could be extraterrestrial, interdimensional, they could be time travelers, ultra-terrestrials, crypto-terrestrials, all of the above. I, I suspect, you know, after doing this for a long time, that the ultimate answer is way more complicated than something as simple as UFOs from out there coming here. Uh, you know, some of them are physical, but sometimes they are not physical. I think they can be both. You know, we, we, I've got these books here in, in, uh, in home uh, of different ETs, different aliens that people have reported over the centuries, hundreds of them, 
hundreds and hundreds of different uh, figures. Are they, is it that many? Is that that big of a menu of these things? Or are they manipulating our perception? The fact is, we don't really know what they look like. They look at, appear to different people at different times in different guises. And the same thing is true for their ships, saucers, orbs, motherships, cigars, Tic Tacs. Um, I think they manipulate imagery. I think they manipulate our minds. I don't think we really know what they look like or where they're from. And that's why I think it's um, at least advisable to keep the options open that the ultimate answers to this might be unpleasant. Yeah, you know, I, I've really struggled with that hypothesis. As you know, George, uh, Nuts and Bolts guy kind of got hooked on this through, you know, the story you broke with, with Bob Lazar. So it was very mechanical for me. And I come from a jujitsu background where it's very mechanical. And I've struggled with this. And I actually wrote to you or called you and Dr. Kelleher one time. And I, I asked him, he gave me this great answer. You know, he was basically telling me, well, why in your mind are, are these things separate? You know, the, the physical and then the non-physical. The, the non-physical is just maybe stuff we don't fully understand. And one explanation, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try. So everybody give me courage right now. If you have like a 2D reality, so you only see on this plane of existence and you have an orange, let's say, and you push that up through a 2D reality, like a piece of paper, all the people on that 2D reality, they're just going to see a big expanding circle. And then as that orange gets passed up through that firmament, they're going to see that circle shrink. So this idea that we are only capable of seeing things on a certain level, that there are other levels all around us all the time. Like imagine if you could see, I was talking with a friend the other day, imagine if you could see every Wi-Fi signal, every cell phone image, what that would look like visually in visual terms. If you could see that, right? It, there's a whole world going on at all times that is imperceptible to us, just like in the spectrum of light. You know, the, the human eye can see a certain spectrum of light, that's it. Below that, ultraviolet, above that, infrared. However, there are like some animals, like I think there's a shrimp. I think the best eyes on planet Earth are like from a shrimp, actually. And they, they have this incredible ability to see spectrum way beyond the human eye. So I've always thought that as a simple explanation is we, we have to be open that there are biological and, and kind of uh, intellectual limitations to our perception of reality. And, and we're not directly perceiving reality. This is all a construct of the brain from light coming into the eye. Most of our brain, as Dave Foley told me, when you look at a chair, 50% of you looking at a chair is memory of a chair. They've done MRIs on the brain and they can see that 50% is memory, 50% is actionable visual coming in because we're kind of, our brains conserve energy. You don't every time you see a chair need to reconstruct that chair in your brain. So. What I'm trying to say in a kind of long way is that maybe it's not as magical as, as we think. Maybe it's just a bigger part of reality and it's so imperceivable to us that UFOs and the technological aspect, it's just one part we can see. And there is something deeper. There is something bigger, good or bad. Because look, when you say good or bad, that's a construct too. Like who knows good or bad on the big scale of things, right? I loved how in the episode we just did with Joe for his show, uh, he gave this caterpillar hypothesis. Do you remember what he was saying? Mm -hmm. no. it, it was pretty it's cool. It was a blur to me. It's a blur. Wait, tell, yeah. tell me about that real quick. No, no, no. I, I, I mean, we went into it. We spent a couple of hours. We got done. And I don't remember hardly anything of what we said. <laughs> That's great. That means you were having fun, man. Um, yeah, I, I'd have to go back and watch it. Or people should go watch it because then they'll, they'll see his analogy. But you were kind of nodding your head like you knew exactly what he was saying. But it was the idea, kind of like my techno terrestrial hypothesis. It's like it's not I don't think it's a new hypothesis, but it's this idea that uh, we are part of a process that we've been created in order to create and that we're creating something. I think Joe took it in a, a step further. And he was talking about, you know, what if we are just, you know, in a, in a metamorph, we are a metamorphosis for something else, for another life form. So kind of like a caterpillar becomes something. What if this stage of human growth is just a metamorphosis process and that we are right now building towards and accelerating towards this new evolution of being and that this happens around the galaxies, around the universe 
constantly that this is the purpose, as if it's directed panspermia with a technological advantage that then propagates out into the world. But the way he said it was so mystifying to me because it was like, I can't even conceive of what he's talking about, what we could become. You know, it was just a really neat conversation. People should check that part out. The discussion about perception, I think, is is very much relevant to the big picture with UFOs and, and other issues that we're interested in. I remember, um, you know, at Skinwalker Ranch, they used to use dogs uh, as biosensors. That was Colin Kelleher's word for it, because dogs can smell and see and hear things that we cannot. Their senses are more developed. We humans have developed senses over millions of years, I guess. And it allows us, they've evolved because that's what we need to navigate our version of reality. This desk, this computer, um, we see them as solid, real objects. But in fact, they probably are not. There's a guy named Dr. Donald Hoffman who wrote a really great book called The Case Against Reality, where he (laughs) analyzes that, is that our understanding of reality is based on our senses, which are extremely limited. You're right, we cannot see x-rays or television rays or infrared rays with our eyes, but we know that they're real. Uh, There's also a matter of perspective. You know, I recall writing about, let's say you're a pigeon and you're in New York City and you swoop down from a building and you land on a newspaper. You have no freaking idea what that newspaper is writing about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine or, uh, or you're an ant colony living in this dirt pile Your whole universe is what you can see and sense. You have no idea that you're in Alabama, and that's a state in the U.S., and um, it's part of this gigantic uh, global environment and one planet of many in a solar system that's a tiny little dot in in the universe. It's all a matter of perspective, and our perspective is pretty darn limited as human beings. We have to be willing to embrace a larger understanding of reality in order to get our heads around this UFO mystery. Yeah, it it is. I I guess that's why I I really gravitate towards this because it's almost like, I I wonder if when we solve one part, we think we've solved something, if it doesn't just riddle us with with more mysteries. That's been my experience so far. You know, solve one thing and it just opens up a Pandora's box of another. Maybe that's a sickness in my mind. I just love that, like the ever unfolding kind of, origami of, of some, you know, fractal universe when it comes to UFOs. I don't know, man. I, will we ever, I don't want to go there, but will we ever get the answer, George, ever? No, no. you're shaking your head. No, for our, our audience listeners who are just no. on audio. <laughs> I, I'm just, um, I don't think so. I think maybe, uh, maybe the purpose of the whole thing is to try, you know, maybe it's meant to be a challenge, which, which is why the UFO mystery, aliens, whatever you want to call them, they're always just a little bit tantalizingly out of our reach, leading us down a path. It's important to make the journey regardless of what the destination might be. You know, I think so. And, and this week, by the way, there were some pretty solid uh, developments in the real world not the ethereal world that we're discussing, in the real world of, world of politics in Washington and the Pentagon. You want to get into those? Absolutely. Let's get into it, man. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. So... A surprise announcement comes out uh, the, of uh, the Deputy Secretary of Defense sort of reached out and took control of Arrow. There's a lot of bit criticisms of Arrow in recent months, all of them completely justified, by the way. Uh, Sean Kirkpatrick has made statements that seem contrary to facts that we know of. I've seen no evidence that there are ETs or aliens, uh, no verifiable evidence, when in fact we know that David Grush has given testimony to Congress behind closed doors, offered to get that information to Arrow. Sean Kirkpatrick, head of Arrow, has said, I have access to everything. Grush has given very specific information about where some of this stuff is stored, stashed, hidden. Um, Has Sean Kirkpatrick gone after it? Has he sent somebody to go look and see if it's there? Because if he hasn't, that's a problem. So there are a lot of criticisms, um, things that he has seemingly not got around to doing, uh, interviewing particular witnesses that we know about. So what the hell has Arrow been doing? Not much. And so um, Hicks, the Deputy Secretary of Defense, sort of took control of this away from Moultrie, who was the guy that Kirkpatrick has been reporting to. Is that how you understand it? Yeah. So, you know, for me, this, you know, this political aspect, I have friends that I call and kind of try to get more information from about it. But that is how I understand it is you can see this through two different things. So Kathleen Hicks, as you said, people were wondering, is Dr. Kirkpatrick going to have to report directly to her? Is she going to get her hands dirty, kind of get involved with this? So on one side, it feels it felt like the worst kind of like damage control possible because of all the fuck ups of that guy recently you know, uh, harping on people, whistleblowers coming forward in like letters, you know, like crazy things he's been doing. So I kind of felt like she was coming in and be like, uh-uh, I'm going to clean this up. That that in, in one sense, I think that's really good, right? You got somebody coming in and being like, whoa, 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 hold the horses. You report to me, Dr. Kirkpatrick. My name is Kathleen Hicks. I mean, I hope it's like that. It felt like that. Um, other people argue, do, do we actually want the deputies you know, Secretary of Defense to lead a direct reporting website. I mean, that's a good point because uh, some people think it sounds a little bit uh, dangerous for integrity and process and investigative transparency. Those are the words that I've heard that uh, having somebody in control of these reports coming in. What I've read is so so Arrow has a website now. So let's let's talk about that. Right. So you got this this woman, Kathleen Hicks, coming in. Here are some things she said, George. Let me just read it to you. I believe that transparency is a critical component of Arrow's work, and I am committed to sharing Arrow's discoveries with Congress and the public, consistent with our responsibilities to protect critical national defense and intelligence capabilities. So so what I hear her saying in that quote is from a Defense Scoop article which, by the way, obviously her PR person just reached out to Defense Scoop and they're trying to make her look really good. But, hey, we love her looking good if she's fighting the good fight for UFO transparency. So in that quote that I read you, she says she believes that transparency is critical and it's critical for Arrow. And we haven't seen that very much of Arrow. So I like that. Then she says that those discoveries will be shared with Congress and the public, which you're like, yep, yep, that sounds good. Then she says, consistent with our responsibility to protect critical national defense and intelligence capabilities, which I get. But that's a huge out, right? This idea that national security, nothing can be told. We know all this shit's overclassified. So there's hope in one hand and like a crushing power in the other, if, if you agree with me. I got a few more quotes. Yeah, I'm, uh, 
I don't uh, necessarily expect transparency. We've been hearing that from the Pentagon for a long time, and it's just bullshit. Uh, we have not received any transparency. We've seen lip service to it, but not actual transparency. I would settle for competence, uh, which we have not seen. Arrow is set up. It, it, it is created by Congress. It's given uh, specific tasks. We want to have a public reporting mechanism, a mechanism where people with information can report it. And Arrow is supposed to have a website that's up. They have a Twitter account that was established like a year ago. After the Twitter account was established, that's the last tweet that was ever set. I don't know what they call X now, but, uh, you know, that was it. Um, how hard it can it be? Hire any 22-year-old kid you find at a bus stop. He could create your website for you and get it up and running and your and your Twitter account. What we know is that there's been this un internal dialogue every week, multiple emails and exchanges going back and forth between Moultrie and other people there to try to get this website up and running. How many people does it take? How long? How many committee meetings do you need to have? It's not that freaking hard. So if Hicks comes in and just achieves competence and gets these things unfurled, that get the platforms established that they promised us, that would be a major step toward at least establishing some level of public trust, of which right now there is none. I really like the way you put that establishing confidence is, is, is just that's a low bar. Just establish confidence. And you're right. I, I keep swinging from like, oh, no, look, we got somebody new. She's going to clean up all the arrow bullshit and Sean Kirkpatrick's little tantrums. She's going to clean it up. Then I'm thinking, when have they ever cleaned it up? Right. You and I both know we, we can say this, George, is that we've seen from as high as we know in our government email chains all the way down to stopping folks from talking with us. And that's real. We know that to be real. So there is a pressure inside where they are straight up talking in government. Don't talk to George Knapp. He's you know that coast to coast guy. He's a problem child. So so now, you know, when they're saying that about us, and then we, we also know that there's this disparaging campaign, you know, to shape the emerging UAP narrative. Remember those words, folks. Those words shape the emerging UAP narrative that is being done right now by intelligence agencies. It doesn't mean crush the UAP narrative. It doesn't say dismiss it. It says shape it. And one day I hope people can see those words on paper because they are on paper. And um, we that is what we're up against. So back to back to Kathleen Hicks. She said a couple of things that I did like. She said, um, and by the way, this is all in that same defense scoop article. It says the department takes UAP seriously because UAP are a potential national security threat. So on one hand, they're saying they take it seriously. They also pose safety risks and potentially endanger our personnel, our equipment, and our bases, and the security of our operations. DOD is focusing through Arrow to better understand UAP and improve our capabilities to detect, collect, analyze, and eventually resolve UAP to prevent strategic surprise, which is a word I brought up a bunch, a sentence, strategic surprise, and protect our forces, our operations, and our nation. So in that, you can hear, they're like, yep, UAP are real. Yep, they're physical, tangible. Yep, they're doing things that we can't do. And yep, they are threatening, in a way, our personnel, but also our military bases. I mean, that's a huge, you would have never seen that statement 10 years ago, George. There's an admission now. UFOs are real. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty cool, too, this spokesperson that came out and made these announcements and took questions, and there were some pretty good questions. I don't know if we want to play a clip from that or not, but if we have it, I think we, we do. should it's, do a little bit of it. It's seven minutes, yeah, so I don't know like which part of it is good, but let's, let's play it right now, and we can uh, take a look at it. So this is a press briefing right here, and this was with, um, let's see here, they're talking about uh, Arrow and the new report that's to be delivered, quote-unquote, right relatively soon, right? So let's see, uh, I can play a little bit of that. In other news, the department is launching a website on the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office to provide the public with information concerning Arrow and its efforts to understand and resolve unidentified anomalous phenomena. This website will provide information, including videos and photos, 
on resolved UAP cases as they're declassified and approved for public release. The website's other content includes reporting trends and frequently asked questions section, as well as links to official reports, transcripts, press releases, and other resources that the public may find useful. The department is committed to transparency with the American people on RO's work on UAPs. The website will serve as a one-stop shop for all publicly, in, publicly available information related to ARO and UAP, and ARO will regularly update the website with its most recent activities and findings as new information is cleared for public release. You can see ARO's new website at www.aaro.mil. Basically, in that moment, he's announcing finally, although it was mandated in the National Defense Authorization Act, that they're going to put a public facing website. And they were trying to figure out how do we make this so if whistleblowers go through, they were not hacked or something. I mean, that's a real problem. You know, every government on planet Earth is going to be hacking that website. So they finally, they finally launched it. I mean, it, it's a piece of dog shit. Like, I'm sorry. Like, have you looked at it yet? It crashed. It's crashed. It, it did. Crashed like a day later, 24 hours later, it crashed, right? It's frozen. Oh, man, this does not give me confidence. I can make a website that won't crash. What the heck, man? You know, I, uh, more power to them. If they really do believe in transparency, competence, uh, I'm in favor of competence at a minimum. If they can, you know, get it up and running where people can access um, information from the site and people can submit reports, that would be great. I'm not sure that they, uh, they would establish a lot of confidence that it is secure enough for maybe a whistleblower to use it, but at least it is a start. Look, uh, on the website, there were a few things that have been floating around on, on Twitter, which are really neat. So there's uh, a couple of sections when we're talking about crash retrievals, which you and I talked a bunch about with, with Rogan on his show, with Joe, we talked about crash retrievals. Check this out, I'm gonna read you three sections from uh, the website. And this is public stuff, it says, uh, UAP exploitation directs exploitation of recovered enigmatic technologies, leveraging cross-sector partnerships and the latest developments in theoretical and applied physics engineering, leads structured, structured recording, synthesis, and sharing of signature and material analysis for data consistency across operational, analytic, and research platforms. Here, just step back for a second, take away. They're talking about exploitation of recovered enigmatic technologies. That is pretty wild to see on a public website from our government. I'm going to continue. There's two more things. There was another section about strategic communications, and it says establish secure mechanisms for reporting of any event related to UAP or any event of the U.S. government related to UAP retrieval, analysis, and engineering. Now, why would Arrow put this in their mandates if they are unaware of these types of crash retrievals of what we call UAP, UFOs, ships not made here on Earth, as famously said by Eric Davis in the New York Times? Last bit, UAP object recovery. Listen to this, man. Yeah. Leads UAP recovery planning and execution in close collaboration with Arrow SNT group, which is science and technology group. So Arrow has a science and technology group, and they're talking about leading and planning recovery and execution of recovery of these craft. Also says advises commands on the secure and safe handling, storage, transport, and transfer of UAP objects and material for Arrow SNT, which is again science and technology exploitation. So they're like, look, we get a UFO. We need to have people to secure it, to safely handle it, to store it, to transport it, and to transfer it, oh, to transfer the UAP objects and materials for Arrow. I mean, it's pretty crazy. They're all set up. Astonishing. Astonishing that they would put that language on a website, talk about it openly, because they've never been willing to acknowledge that before. Maybe this is a, a form of transparency that Hicks has acknowledged and, and uh, says she would appreciate. I mean, I would never have believed to see that on a website from the a, a, an arm of the Department of Defense. Uh, it, it's amazing to me. I think it is in line with what we have seen from some members of Congress. 
the Schumer Amendment to the NDAA, to the National Defense Authorization Act, which references non-human intelligence multiple times, something we talked to with, with Rogan, and which basically says, look, if you've got crash saucers, you've got metamaterials, we want it. It's ours. We're using eminent domain to come and get it. So you might as well turn it in right now. We'll give you a little grace period um, where it's, um, you know, you're free to go ahead and turn it in. But after that, we're coming after you. Um, maybe Department of Defense sees the writing on the wall and knows that this is coming down the pike. The connection between you and your therapist matters. That's why Alma focuses on helping you find the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search by what you want to focus on, like anxiety, relationships, or big life transitions. You can also specify preferences around gender, race, faith, and more to help you find someone who's more likely to understand where you're coming from. Alma also makes it easy for therapists to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of providers in their directory accept insurance for sessions, so you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash not just anyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash not just anyone. Yeah, man. I mean, look, when, when we were on with Joe and we and he read, I think it was the Schumer uh, Amendment or the legislation. I think he, he actually, if I recall, he yeah. read through yeah. it. Yeah. Um, which was so powerful because it is shocking. It is shocking to see that language. And we kind of told him about it and he brought it up and he read it. He's like, wow. So to have him actually read through that into pop culture was so cool. And then you referenced a 1968 through 1970, maybe um, Air Force manual where they're teaching cadets on like about the UFO thing. It got pulled from the manual, but at one time it was taught at the Naval Academy or whatever, Air Force Academy. It's pretty cool when when we start catching up. By the way, I'm on it now. The Arrow website is back up, so that's really good. Uh, they, they have different sections on there, and I haven't explored them all. But here's the inherent issue, right? So you've got oversight by a, a group within our government which who has notoriously been part of the cover-up. But they're like, oh, it's cool. Now we're all talking. Just send us everything you got here. A lot of people don't trust that. A lot of people think the pressure has built so much, maybe from some things that have happened, like some of the videos we've released and, and other things. It's built up so much that maybe this is a way to collect data and information and people can't trust it. So it, it's really cumbersome. I'm worried, like, are we going to learn anything from this? Or is it just a data collection, human intelligence kind of program to get... If it is data collection, good. They need one, you know, because the, the collection processes that they've used recently don't seem to be all that great. You know, witnesses that we know, military people, intelligence people who have information, who want to share it, are reluctant to do so because they don't know what's going to happen. There needs to be a public mechanism. You and I are recipients of public information every single day. Uh, images that we are not qualified to analyze, yeah. uh, case studies and incidents and details that really, it's, it's not something that we can really investigate. But if the, I, I say we give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's see what happens. If the public sends this information in, if whistleblowers share information with Arrow, let's see what happens to it. I, I'm, I hope that it ends up well. I was encouraged yes and no, by the statement from the spokesperson from the Pentagon that they promised to declassify UAP cases. All right, once we re resolve them, we're going to share that information with the public. Great. That's great. Let's see it. When's that going to happen? Um, also, you know, but it raises some obvious questions. Uh, resolved by whom? Um, who says they're resolved? And the, the fact that they're sharing with the public the ones that they figure they can explain, that leaves out a whole big pile of stuff, the ones they cannot explain, the more exotic cases, the most interesting cases, the ones they can't figure out. I mean, you go back to Project Blue Book. The fact is that the most interesting cases were the ones that there was a lot of information, and the more information they had, the less explainable it became. When do we get to see that stuff? That's the question. 
Right. Well, is the difference now? I mean, with Project Blue Book, we now know historically that it was set up as a sham. It was set up to persuade the American public that what they were seeing was swamp gas and natural phenomenon. Now, you know, looking at life backwards, like looking at it from Z to A, retrospect, as they say, it's so clear that that's what they were doing to the point where J. Allen Hynek was like, fuck this. And he's like, he started his own UFO research thing. He felt guilty for saying the word swamp gas back in the day when looking at UFO cases. So now looking at it backwards, we can see that was a sham. That was a shell game from the get go. We also know that the real reports are the good ones, that those were siphoned somewhere else. That was an official document. So, so everybody understands Project Blue Book, it would collect information, but the good stuff went other went to another place. So we've always been sitting in this place where we're like, we can't trust our government studying UFOs. I hope the tides have turned. Man, I'm like a ping pong ball. I keep going back and forth on this. I hope the tides have turned, but we are not gonna wait to find out. And that's the thing. This experiment we're doing, we call weaponized. You know, we probably have 15, 17, 18 weeks left where we're going to explore this. Now, there could be a this could be a caterpillar situation where then we evolve the show into something else. But I'll tell you, I got the list right here. I'm not going to hold it up to the screen. We got some bangers set up for this show. So so if we get our goals of releasing some footage and, and doing these interviews that we got, man, it's going to be really great to throw down because I'm not waiting. You're not waiting. We're going to push as hard and as strong as we can. I think, I really believe the tides are turning because of people coming forward independently to journalists who then need to suss it out and do it. I think these leaks, I got to say it, man, I do think these leaks are going to be what really help propel us forward. Now, it's nice if, if our government catches up, but I think this train has left the station and we are we are moving at a, you know, on a bullet train at 100, 200 something miles an hour. I hope so. I hope that is true. As I said, I'd like to give the benefit of the doubt now that Hicks has taken command of this thing and is trying to move the, the ball down the field. Great. But as we have discussed before, my uh, glass is half empty kind of a philosophy is that the closer we get to the goodies, the greater the pushback becomes. Yeah. Um, th th having those statements in this uh, on this website, Hearing those words through a Department of Defense spokesperson about crash retrievals and, and you know, things of that sort is astonishing. But don't underestimate the powers of the opposition. A month ago, we were on this program discussing the, the basking in the overglow of a congressional hearing at, at which members of both parties, uh, right and left, we're asking very pointed questions. We're very encouraged by these three witnesses who came forward. The fact that the hearing happened at all, we know that there is already pushback. This guy, you know, uh, Burchett, Tim Burchett, our friend uh, in Congress who wanted to have additional hearings has been shut down. Um, Mike Turner, Intelligence Committee Chairman, very powerful committee, has conferred with the oversight chairman and said no more UFO hearings because it might embarrass the Department of Defense. Well, hell yeah, it'll embarrass them. They have reason to be embarrassed. Uh, I don't know if they, um, we shouldn't uh, have any more hearings because the, the rest of us should maybe sit in a corner, the public, Congress, uh, the media, sit in a corner with a little tin cup and go, please, <laughs> Pentagon, may we have a, a tin full a cup of uh, UFO gruel that you're willing to share with us, a couple of little breadcrumbs, um, because we're no longer able to have congressional hearings about the matter. The fact that Mike Turner is the chairman of the Intelligence Committee representing Dayton, Ohio, home to Wright Patterson Air Force Base, a guy who gets a lot of uh, campaign money from the big aerospace companies, I don't think all of that is coincidental. Um, this is what we're up against. There are powerful forces in Congress, um, throughout Washington, in the Pentagon, that do not want this stuff to come out. And they can give all the lip service they want to transparency, and boy, we're gonna get to the bottom of this, and we're gonna share information. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, man, and you know, look, there, the, the, I'd like to kind of move and end towards a positive note, which is that I believe David Grush will be unmuzzled very soon. And I think that he'll get through that part 
and that we'll hear more from him uh, in a couple of different forms. And I think that's really important that he can speak openly about what it is that he believes. He knows what it is we can check on. Not everything, but I, I think this restriction that we have on him right now that is very real, I think that's going to go away soon. Uh, if not, we're going to be loud as hell. And I also know for a fact that there are other people who have taken similar steps as, as David Grush, like already inked, already inked, ready to fire a number of other people who are insiders in these programs. So however the public hears about these people, it's not going to be really long, right? This is an imminent thing. People will come forward. Now, in what form? Because sometimes if you do it like Dave Grush did, all of it, you can say more because it's all classified through the IGIC or ICIG whistleblower complaint. So that's all classified. However, uh, there are other ways people might be coming forward. So it's either going to be through that classified realm and or where people can do more hearings and they can be publicly heard. And, and you know, George, I'm going to fight for public hearings. Like that is so important. It's like a, a symbol for other people. So look, the future is bright if we keep fighting, if we keep pushing. And remember, kindness is gangster. Everybody likes to fight each other in this topic. We got to push forward at least for the same cause, even if we don't agree. And the cause is revelation and understanding and truth. You know, there, there's no world where it's okay to hold back something so big. So the, the demuzzling of David Grush would be an excellent episode of Weaponized if we get to the point where he's demuzzled, right? Totally agree. Um, I, I would just point out to our listeners and to the general public, I hope that they will stay engaged on this. It's a critical time right now. So uh, Why? Tim Burkett, uh, Luna and, and other members of Congress who've been pushing this ball down the field, they want a select committee to be appointed by the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, to uh, give them the authority to dig into this, give them subpoena power, to have more hearings that are not controlled by Mark Turner of Dayton, Ohio, that they can pursue this wherever it leads. Congress needs to hear from the public right now. It does make an impact when you make calls and write letters and send emails to the likes of Kevin McCarthy and other members of Congress. McCarthy, the speaker, is going to have to make this decision soon. I hope he hears from the public on this and the public says we want more of it. So maybe I should have been real clear about this. So this is a good chance for you and me to be clear. Like this is a time right now where, where we have this potential energy surrounding UFO transparency, learning about this stuff specifically. Right now, I believe uh, Congress is at in a, in a recess, do they call it, where they're all chilling out. But they're coming back in September, this coming month. And I've been told, hey, man, look, if people write or if they call to their local senators and Congress people and they say, you are about to vote on the National Defense Authorization Act and the Intelligence Authorization Act, you are about to vote. In fact, you're about to debate it. You're about to debate what to include in these in these acts, which eventually the president basically just signs like, you know, there's not usually a lot of pushback on that. He takes the advice of everybody coming. So what we can do is is call Congress, call Senate, call your representatives in your state and say, I care about this. You're about to debate it. And it's going to go into the National Defense Authorization Act about reverse engineering, all this stuff. We want to know. We care about this. If, if people started doing that, if every single person that listens to this, if every single person reached out to their local representatives, holy shit, we would get answers, right? We would get push. So I think that is something we should be really clear about, that people should do that. Make your government work for you. Yeah. NDAA should be approved as written with the Schumer Amendment in there that discusses non-human intelligence and crash retrieval materials, things of that sort. We want that approved. We'd also like to see a House Select Committee on UAP approved, uh, authorized by uh, the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. That's not too much to ask. Uh, they should be able to investigate and follow the evidence wherever it leads. If people at the end of when they listen to this episode of Weaponized get on their computer, find their local uh, congressmen and senators and send them an email or call them up, uh, it can make a big difference. Absolutely. And then also just want to say, as we're nearing the end here, is we released 
last episode, an episode about a man named John Lear. I really highly encourage people, if they're just tuning in because they saw the Rogan podcast or something, if you're a new listener to Weaponize, start at the beginning where we say we're not always going to talk about UFOs. We usually do, but start at the beginning and come through. But that last, last episode, George, my God, that was a dream come through. We talk about the great John Lear, the godfather of conspiracy, your gateway drug into UFOs my gateway drug into UFOs. The reason Bob Lazar was forced into that situation to go on camera with you when you didn't know him yet. This is all because of John Lear. People loved this episode. The response has been crazy, immaculate deception. I mean, to go back to episode 30, number two, last one, and people should watch that one. Yeah, the editing by our guy, Michael. Is Michael, baby, Magic Mike. Yeah, all right. Excellent. Next okay, time. Hey, Thank you so much. Next week, man, we got something. Never have so few had so much to tell, but could say so little. Follow and listen to Weaponized, a presentation of Jeremy Corbell, George Knapp, Dark Horse Entertainment, and Cadence 13 Studios. Available now for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your shows.